0: Hello everybody, this is Salil Tripathi here in London from the Institute for Human Rights and Business and at the other end of this call I have Sanchita Saxena who is the Executive Director for the Institute for South Asia Studies and a Director at the Subir and Malini Choudhry Centre for Bangladesh Studies. We are going to be talking about the need for remedy when there are grave abuses of human rights of workers in garment and apparel factories. Uh, this year's theme for our podcast for the top 10 is of course on uh, the search for remedies when there is no justice. So thank you very much for joining us Sanchita. It's
1: great to be here Salil, thank
0: you. Uh, My first question is a hypothetical one but it's clearly drawn by what has happened in the Rana Plaza case. That here we have a building which has many small factories, it collapses, almost a thousand workers die and the factories in a developing world, in in a country like Bangladesh, and the garments are made, which are sold and bought very cheap in the rich world by people who are much better off, and the workers are of course getting very low wages for this. Where does the fault lie in this equation, and what kind of accountability mechanism do you think we need? Yes,
1: this is of course a very complicated uh, question, because The fault, so to speak, lies amongst many of the stakeholders. So, for example, the elites in Bangladesh who are factory owners, many of them benefit a great deal from this setup. And so they own these factories and employ thousands of workers who are paid really very low wages. But the Bangladeshi elites, the factory owners, are definitely benefiting from
0: this. And when you wrote your book, you have also talked about Cambodia and Sri Lanka, so if you have some experiences to draw from that, uh, please certainly do so, yeah.
1: That's right. It is similar certainly in those two countries as Mm -hmm. well. I mean, the local elites in this sector certainly benefit from the setup with, you know, a large number of employees who are paid below minimum wage. It does create that hierarchy within these developing societies. So you have the elites on one hand, you have the government in Bangladesh, which has limited enforcement capacity, even though there may be laws in the books, you know, to raise wages or to have certain provisions at the factory level to improve conditions. There's limited enforcement capacity, but there's also often a conflict of interest. So many. Those represented in government, they're also factory owners, so it's also questionable about you know, how much they are really pushing for some of these changes to occur. But I think the most important player or actor in this is really the international brands. Mm-hmm. And once, once we look at the way the global supply chain is structured, we really see that there's very little attention that's paid to trying to understand the pressures that are created so oftentimes factory owners they take on extremely risky behavior for example going to the subcontracting sector the rana plaza example of being in a building which was clearly unsafe there were stories and stories of you know floors that were being built on top of each other with you know not looking at all to any sort of regulation just trying to fit in many bodies as possible trying to churn out these garments. Of course, the owners and those of owning the building and the owners of the factories have to be held responsible, but there's a reason also why they face this incredible pressure that pushes them to take this risky behavior. International brands increasingly ask for a tighter turnaround, you know, at the lowest cost possible. And oftentimes, even very legitimate factories, what we call sort of the tier one factories, oftentimes they cannot take on such a large order, but they never want to say that. There's a fear of losing business. They tend to take this risky behavior, go to the subcontracting units, and then it often results in disasters such as Rana Plaza.
0: So Rana Plaza was meant to be a wake-up call for the industry. I mean, we know of course from history that there was a Tarzeen fire incident only a year earlier, and Pakistan right. had a terrible incident with a German buyer of a Pakistan factory. And China has had similar incidents too in the past. So it's not unique. But staying with Rana Plaza for a moment, has it been a wake-up call? Has it led to any substantive changes?
1: I mean, it was a wake-up call from the point of view that many brands associated with it were horrified to see these images all over the media. I mean, now it's not so easy to push these things under the rug. After Rana Plaza happened, we saw these Horrific images and a lot of the images we saw not only of just the incredible human suffering But there were pictures after with labels from certain brands. I, maybe I won't bring those up. Now, no, but that's I mean, fine. Yeah, yeah it was, it was a clear clear association with A brand and this horrific disaster, and I think that you know social media and the way things spread. So it was a wake-up call from the point of view that the whole world really knew about it, and there was a real danger to hurting the brand image. And it was a wake-up call from the point of view that I think because it's not new, but there was something about this that was probably. Truly horrific, also in the terms of the number of workers that died. Mm-hmm. So, it's probably one of the worst industrial accidents, I think, to happen. So, it was hor- horrific in many ways, and the images that spread, there was a lot of fear that it was going to hurt the brand image. So, it did bring brands together finally after such a long time to say, you know, let's try to do something. I think from that point of view, it was probably the first time where brands did come together and try to try to engage in a dialogue, at least to think a little bit more about the sector.
0: Right, so we had two remedies, one American and one European, one was called Accord and one Alliance. Are they useful? What is missing?
1: They're useful from the point of view that again, I think it was somewhat historical in the sense that you didn't have in the past these brands coming together in such a way um, I think certain brands had tried to address this issue in various ways, working with local factory owners and working with labor groups, but you know, it, it was very ad hoc. One of the things that many factory owners complain about is that even in this whole talk about compliance, there's often not a direct mandate, it's not uniform across the brand. So it's actually very difficult for factory owners to have to have various levels of compliance trying to cater to all the various brands that they work with. So this was, I think, a good attempt to come together to try to come up with some sort of uniform standards and ideas of what needed to be fixed. And certainly they were trying to fix the problem. The real shortcomings of both of these remedies has been that it's quite limited in its scope. They really work with only the factories that are officially registered, which is actually a very small percentage of the right. larger universe of factories. And that's a real problem because what that continues to emphasize or de-emphasize, actually, is the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, there's a huge subcontracting sector. This is really typical more to Bangladesh and other countries I have worked on they don't have it in such the way that bangladesh does so the huge subcontracting sector is completely neglected out of this alliance accord uh, remedy so that basically in terms of actually making change i don't think it is going to go very far because the, the tier one factories there are many in bangladesh that have improved quite a bit so you're not really talking about the tier one factories but it is really those other factories of subcontract the ones that are in buildings that are unsafe the ones that you can't find they're hidden you know they're working in basements They're working in very unsafe buildings those are the ones that are really in danger of one they, there's absolutely no oversight so the labor conditions in those factories are are really terrible, but also in terms of actual structural issues, their lack of fire exits and you know actual structural issues like what we saw in Rana Plaza. I mean, those are the ones that really have the danger of another disaster happening. But those are not covered, actually, under the borderline right. officially. So that's, I think, one huge gap. And the other gap, I think, is this continued focus on monitoring and compliance, as if that is really the only issue around the problems with the global supply chain, but there are many other problems that are kind of neglected because there is such a focus on monitoring. So larger issues, you know, the issue of gender discrimination, freedom of speech, workers' rights. I mean, those tend to just be put aside because we're just focusing on monitoring and as these monitoring type of projects go, they tend to be focused on very quantifiable outcomes which how many factories did you inspect okay let's have a list and check this off you know how many unions did you register you know those are measures that oftentimes actually don't correlate with increased improvement so this you know incredible focus on trying to quantify everything and that's how when you look at the data that these two organizations have produced, it's very numerical, it's very number-oriented. We've monitored this many factories and, and this is what has happened. Not to say that the f- monitored factories have not improved. I'm sure they have because they have been forced to put certain things in place. But I think this is just a very narrow piece of the a much larger issue. And this focus on monitoring and compliance has sort of allowed the brands to neglect these other issues, primarily what I had said earlier about the incredible pressure on price and turnaround that, right. they, that they don't want to really address. Um,
0: so if you were to seek specific changes for improving accountability, what would those be? One would be, of course, as I see it, much more granular reporting rather than number-based reporting and focus more on the civil and political issues and not merely on construction rules and you know whether the lights are placed at the right place and so on so move towards the functions rather than just the structures but what are the other changes that you would like to see Ultimately,
1: this literature and evidence around third party monitoring and third party solutions tend not to be effective in the long run. And we've seen this in Cambodia and in Sri Lanka has not been third party, it's been very top down. It's a very government oriented solution to improving factories. Labor groups in Sri Lanka, are there's a lot of restrictions on them organizing. They hardly have any say in making any change. In Cambodia, the Better Factories program, it's a ILO yes. program that has been placed for a few decades now. And that also, you know, it, it works initially. I think it brought many of the factories up to a certain level. But again, you know, it's limiting in what it can do. So I think in Bangladesh, we're at a point where we really need to go beyond this idea of third-party Interventions and really look at the local movements that are in place. And in Bangladesh, there are many actually very exciting sort of things happening, um, especially with female labor leaders. Unlike what you see in other countries, there are very strong, vibrant, vocal female labor leaders in Bangladesh. And they often work outside of the, the typical union structure, but they may be part of a larger garment federation, they may be part of an NGO, a women's empowerment group, and working with them to come up with factory level solutions is really important, because there are already movements in place, and there are already dialogues happening, but we need to sort of not recreate the wheel and come up with these parallel structures, but actually to work within the local community-based organizations and, and come up with community sort of local rooted solutions that allow for a natural monitoring amongst the various groups. So you have the labor groups and you have The owners, and you have the government officials, but you bring it down at the community-based level. So you have this sort of monitoring that's happening, but it's not really top-down, and it's not necessarily coming from the outside. So I think there's a lot of practical things that can be done. One, there's a very interesting project. I know a few people who are working on this. Is on the idea of training female managers Mm -hmm. in the factory and that's i think something really important that's something been missing most of the garment workers majority are female but very few actually go to the middle management positions and there's evidence to show that if more females were in middle management you would have a very different experience on the factory floor right. and he's when such disasters
0: happen. And my final question actually goes back to the point you were making earlier about the subcontractors even broader to the broader Bangladesh economy where ship breaking is an area that has been identified by people uh, including activists and human rights groups as an area which tends to you know fall by the wayside because there's so much focus on garments because it's such a visible industry uh, that right. all these other industries where also lots of people work, and in, in shipbreaking there are lots of children involved. For instance, can we think of uh, some kind of an overarching framework of legal or non-legal remedies to address these issues? Ultimately, it has to come from the state, doesn't it? These solutions. They do. You know, I think
1: in Bangladesh there are laws in place. I don't know as much about this area about the actual legal framework in terms of labor laws that are in place, but I know there there has been progress made in terms of at least in the garment industry the wage issue there has been legal legal ramifications made to actually improve wages or to have regular increases but this is the problem in many countries in the global south you may have the laws in place laws on the you know in the books but the actual implementation is oftentimes very difficult and that has to do with you know, lack of capacity, conflict of interest, as we talked about earlier. So, I mean, I think, again, this goes back ultimately to these local solutions. You need, if the laws are, certain laws are in place to provide protections across industries, then actual implementation, when there's a gap there, it's only the local community-based solutions can actually help implement some of these things or push for some of these things to take place. And I think there has to be much more of a partnership between, you know, the government and, and sort of civil society and the various workers' groups in these various industries to try to make sure that some of these laws are implemented. There is a legal framework for many of these, in, the, in many of these areas, but it's really the implementation that's lacking.
0: Great. Thanks very much indeed. This has been fascinating, and I really uh, found it very interesting the emphasis you placed on women being promoted to the middle management. I think that's one of the simple ways in which companies can start looking at addressing these issues. So, thanks very much indeed.
1: Thank you very much, Sally.